Now then, we want to get into an area here. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to stay with this one, but learn how to buy. Learn how to buy. One of the greatest problems within amongst Christian circles is the inability to buy and the inability to have sales resistance. Do you know that there are a lot of people out there in the sales business that just love to go into your home if they possibly can with a product, especially if they think you don't have sales resistance? You know, my, my father taught me how to sell when I was just a little boy in the third grade. I had to go and sell vegetables in order to earn my school clothes and my spending money for the year. Since he could not work because he was crippled, he would, he would help have me help him with the garden, and in the fall I would help him sell vegetables. In order to, he, he would teach me at home how to count money, and then I'd go out and before long I was selling this, and I was selling that, and I was selling something else. And I found out that there are some people that it's just impossible to sell anything to, but there are other people that, boy, you can just sell them anything. Now, I've literally walked into homes when I was in college years ago. We sold a home cleaning unit, and I looked for the type of person that when I'd walk through the door, they'd say, I know what you're selling. I don't need one. I've got one, two, three, four right there already. And they would have expensive ones because just as soon as they'd say that, I would know in my mind, this is going to be a sale. They've already told me all the resistance that they've got when they said, I've already got four. And they would, I'm not talking about $39 vacuum cleaners. They would have a $200 and a $300 and a $250 vacuum cleaner sitting there. And as soon as they said, I don't need any, I've got one right now, I'd say, well, I've already got the appointment, so I might as well just show it to you. You're going to get $5 if I just show it to you. If you got that much, I'd sure. And you know, honestly, you'd sit there and say, now, I know that you've already got one and you don't need another one, but just let me show you the features of this particular one. And when I got through, I'd say, well, I hope you enjoyed that. And I'd start to wrap up my box and I'd say, well, look, we, this, we've never seen anything quite like this. We, we really want one of those. They didn't have any more need for another vacuum cleaner than the man in the moon, but they just could not stand to resist any sales. They just had to buy everything that came along. And I think that as Christians, we need to learn to discipline ourselves to what we really, really need and to begin to build up a sales resistance. First of all, don't get sold by the philosophy today that you've got to have certain types of brands of products. You ever notice it in the area of clothes? If some people don't have some little reptile or some little animal crawling across their shirt, they don't feel at home. And if they don't have a shirt that instructs them how to put it on, left, right. I mean, they don't know how to do it. And you've got to have a certain tag on the pocket back here or on the shoe. You know, I have literally been around people and I've watched them go around looking and see what kind of shoes you have on. Got a name on it? Oh, it's one of those names, you see. You know, that, that's really superfluous. You know, when we started off, I mean, when man first fell in sin, he covered himself with fig leaves. God clothed them with animal skins. And you know, it didn't say mink, it didn't say skunk, it didn't say rabbit, it said he covered them with animal skins. And I think the most important thing is that we dress and look nice, but if we go beyond that to impress people and spend money that we don't have in order to impress people around us, that's a false pride. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many, many times I take my wife out for breakfast and we'll go to M.C. Donnell's. And people coming along uh, at M.C. Donnell see the pastor and his wife at that fancy restaurant. But do you know something? I don't look like I'm hurting any. I don't have uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego clothing, or Hart, Schaffner, and Mark's clothing, but I have Jacques C. Penier. 
and I found out Jacques de Penier clothes will fit me just as well, and I can wear them just as long, and I, you know, I've never worn out a Jacques de Penier suit yet. <laughs> Be very, very careful. For example, I mean, if you want to know how to buy clothes, just ask my wife. My wife can find more bargains when it comes to clothes than anything I've ever seen. I have to keep cautioning her not to save me so much money, but she, she, can, still, she can still save me a lot of money buying clothes. And the girls in the back row are pointing at my son. Yeah, he, he goes around talking about the bargains he gets sometimes in clothes, too. You see, it, don't, get it, don't get swallowed up in this philosophy that you've got to have that certain insignia. That's, that's the, the standard and the pride of, of men, of society. Clothes are what we have to have. And I couldn't care less. I, I said to the young men, the young people the other night on Tuesday night, you know, every one of us, now this isn't a nice thing to have to talk about, but we better talk about it. Every one of us one of these days are going to come to the time when it was a time to be born, there's a time to die, and when we die, we're not going to take anything out of this world with us when we go. And when you stand before God, God is not going to say, did you have an alligator in your shirt? He's going to say, did you have me dwelling and controlling your life? He's not going to ask, what kind of a car did you drive? What kind of a house did you live in? He's going to say, did you yield your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Do you know something? I have found it's more beautiful to see the, 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 the nature and the life of Christ flowing out of a person and the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of a person many, many times over what they're wearing or what they're driving or where they live. Read the book of Proverbs, and over and over again it talks about the fact it's better to live in a little hovel, a little shack somewhere, and have joy and peace than to live in a mansion and have nothing but turmoil. Learn to buy. Don't let these things influence you. I've encouraged young couples around here. I said, look, don't go down to the store and buy brand new clothes for your children. Children very seldom wear out clothes. Go into these nice neighborhoods where they have triple and quadruple garage sales with children's clothing. I mean, then you'll go and get these animals all over them, too. I mean, the finest clothes you can find, and a shirt for 50 cents, a, a whole children's outfit for 50, 75 a cents, a dollar. Some people say, I would never do that. Well, then you've got problems. What's wrong with a hand-me-down? If, in the meantime, it allows you to do some of the other more important things in life. I know there's some here that don't have to worry about that. You have income where that doesn't bother you a bit. I mean, I just encourage you, if you don't have to worry about where you go and what you buy... Make sure that when you buy what you buy, that the Lord tells you it's okay for you to spend your money that way. And then when you outgrow them, and then when you don't need them anymore, like one fellow says, my, the reason I call my wife an angel is because she's always up in the air harping about something, and she's got three closets to, uh, full of clothes and says she hasn't got an earthly thing to wear. But when you run out of or get tired of wearing something, don't just chuck it. Look around and find somebody in the body who has need of that, or a missionary organization. I can remember one time when I was in business and, and, and the money began to come back to me and I had a lot of clothes that were out of style and, and some that weren't too much in style for the business field that I was working in. And so I took a lot of my clothes and gave them to the missionary. And they were so elated, but some people don't use these things as opportunities to minister to others. Be very, very careful in how you buy flea markets, garage sales. You can buy almost anything you need today in these places. And if you buy carefully and watch carefully, you can come out way ahead. Now, what I'm simply saying is if you have needs over here, don't always think I've got to go down to the store and buy it brand new. You can get the same thing 
for much, much less, and it'll be of the same quality. When it comes to food, be careful how you buy your food. You know, some people just go to certain supermarkets all the time. I can just give you one little secret that Beverly and I found out years ago. I've probably shared it with you before, but it's important to us. When I say, so, say this, I'm not complaining. I said that we hardly ever buy any meat at a grocery store unless it says, what does it say? Special bond. That means that the meat has started to turn dark. Somebody says, yuck. Now, wait a minute. When it says special buy on it because the meat is already dark, you know what it's done? It's gotten just about halfway along to where the restaurants, your finer restaurants, would serve it to you. If you go into a cooler in a fancy restaurant and look at the meat before they cook it for you, you would need it. Your really fine restaurants will take steaks and so forth and let them get almost black. Do you know why? Because the enzymes working in that meat are tenderizing that meat. And when you go to that fancy restaurant and eat that steak, you say, oh, man, it just melts in my mouth. That's because the organism's been working on it longer. And it's actually become aged meat. But most people won't buy dark meat in a counter because they think, oh, boy, that's almost spoiled. No, it's actually better. And so we'll buy meat on special buy and stick it in the freezer when we come home with it and pull it out. If we want to broil some meat, we put it right in the broiler and we cook it. But you know it will get off anywhere from a dollar to two dollars per pound whenever we're buying that meat. But some people go and they'll turn that dark meat and slide it to the side and look for that nice, fresh, pink, tougher meat. There's just some little things like that that we can learn as Christians. And, and when it comes to food, don't always buy the name brand. Years ago when I was working for a company, they brought out a little article and showed it to me how many millions and millions of dollars every year some of these large food companies spend just to get you to buy their little emblem. And the same food, the same quality of food will be sold by a lesser company that won't do all that advertising, and so they'll sell it for five, six cents a can less because they're not having to pay for all that advertising. And you can get the same quality without having to buy the very finest foods all the time. When it comes to furniture, some young couples, as I said, want to furnish their house like a Taj Mahal the minute they move in. But do you know if you watch the newspapers, I've just casually been watching the want ads recently, and I find where people say, purchase this living room set, $1,500 living room set, must moving north, must sell immediately, one year old or one and a half years old, we'll let it go for $500, $700, $600, half price or less. And they put it in their house, they've lived in there for a year, now they, they finally learned that summer is not like heaven on earth in Florida, and they want to go back to their, their haven up north again. And the papers are filled with beautiful furniture and beautiful appliances that you can buy without having to buy them brand new. And you still get quality material. Now, I don't know about you, but I could use that extra $500 to $1,000 extra as well as they can. And that way, you don't have to go out and finance it all. Normally speaking, if you'll go and talk to them, they'll even sell it for less than they, they advertise they'll sell it for. We had a couple here in the church recently who said they bought an $800 or $850 refrigerator, one year old or one and a half years old, for $200 or $250, something like that. Now, how many of you have ever seen a refrigerator completely wear out in a year or a year and a half? But they were able to purchase it by watching the want ads and purchasing it. Don't always feel the only place you can go is down to Burdines or one of these other places to buy a brand new appliance. 
And when you see the price, that does not mean that that's the price they're going to sell it for. In most cases, I will never pay the price they ask. In fact, my wife doesn't even like to go shopping with me when I'm going to look for something like that. She'll say, you go on in. I don't want to go in. I'm going to be embarrassed. I, say, I don't want to embarrass you. They don't have to sell it to me. I'm not going to twist their arm. They know what it's worth. If they don't want to sell it for that price, well, well you have to forget it. I know that when I went to get that weed eater. By the way, I still haven't gotten that back yet either. He's still working on it. But uh, he asked $85 for that weed eater. I don't know what it's going to cost me when I get done with it, but I, whatever it costs, it's still going to come out as a bargain. I told him, he said, well, make me an offer because it didn't have a throttle on it, a lot of the other things. I said, well, I said, uh, if you'll take $35 for it, I'll, I'll give it to you. Well, he says, can you make it 40 I said, well, all right, you give me $35, he said, and you can have it. When he came out of the garage, he said to his wife, he said, well, he said, I just sold him this weed eater. He said, $35. You said, for what? $35. It doesn't have a throttle on it. All the things I told him it didn't have. He said, it doesn't have a throttle on it. The gas tank isn't on a riptack. All the objections that I gave him about it, he started telling his wife about it. She said, oh. And so I took it down. Now, one of these days when I get that thing back, I'm going to be walking around the feeling that I got a really good bargain. You know that's exactly what the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs, the 20th chapter and the 14th verse. It's not wrong. Proverbs 4, uh, 20, verse 14, and I'm going to read it to you out of the Living Bible. Proverbs 20, verse 14. Proverbs 20, verse 14. Utterly worthless, says the buyer as he haggles over the price, but afterwards he brags about his buy. Utterly worthless, says the buyer. About, as he haggles over the price, but afterwards he brags about his buy. Now, I'm not talking about cheating someone. I'm not talking about cheating someone. I'm talking about haggling over a price. Do you know in the Middle East, they always do that. They'll tell you the price, and they know that you're not going to accept that. But if you do, they go, oh, brother, here is a real fish. I smelled him coming a long time ago. But if they tell you it's $20, you say, uh-huh, no, 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 how about $5? And they'll go, oh, I thought you trying to rob me. And they'll say, I couldn't do it for anything less than $17.50. Oh, uh, no, $7.750 is the very most I'll go. $7.50. You're trying to make my kids starve, and you're trying to get my wife to leave me. And this is what they go through. They go through this whole thing, and you just expect it. Go ahead, get your speech over with, and you come back. And so you end up buying it for $10. They did not expect you to buy it for $20. They expected you to buy it for less. They just didn't know where that less would be. We turned our clocks an hour ahead last night for some of you that are still in shock this morning. <laughs> they still did not have a right to sell it to you. Don't feel bad. Ed got it this morning, too, and I called him. Praise the Lord. Let me just share one more thing with you here about buying, too, and that is in buying automobiles. I know it is a wonderful feeling to have a brand-new automobile. But if you have any idea at all what it costs you when you buy a brand new automobile, unless you're in a 50% tax bracket, it is hardly profitable many times for anyone to buy a brand new car today. I'm talking about a brand new car. I have found out that if you'll go and find out from the owner of the dealership or the head salesman of the dealership, even if they have a what they call a brass hat. Now, a brass hat will have two or 3,000 miles on it, and let me tell you something. I have found this out of a certainty by doing this twice already. Uh, when you buy a new car, if you'll buy a brass hat that's got two or three or 4,000 miles on it, all the bugs are out of it. 
Those of you that have bought brand new cars, how many of you found that most of them today have bugs in them when you first get them? You've got to run them back and forth to get the, you know, a lot of little things that have to be fixed all the time. This comes loose, that comes loose. Three or four thousand miles and all those bugs are taken out of it. And they pretty well know what they're going to do then. But do you realize that in most cases you can buy them for thousands of dollars less just for letting someone else drive them for a few weeks or a couple of months? And you still have a brand new car and they'll give you a brand new warranty on them also. Even though you buy it with a few thousand miles on. I know there's a beautiful prestige for being able to say, it's mine alone. In fact, when I bought that old 69 Buick that we came down here in, it had about 5,000 miles on it, and the guy that, uh, that drove it, the head salesman that drove it, smoked a cigar. I mean, he smoked cigars, and so it smelled like a tobacco factory. We, got, we had to put perfume and everything in there to try to get that out. But, you know, we purchased that thing for less than we could have bought a, a cheaper Chevy for because we traded in a car that was falling apart and all rusted out. The window on the door, driver's side dropped right down inside the door. And it was just a total disaster. But we picked that thing up for just a few thousand dollars. And I think you need to understand that. Or if you've got a good friend that you really know that goes to the auction, who knows automobiles and can buy them right, he can take you down and get you a brand new one there for thousands of dollars less than what you can get them for at the market. Now, I'm not against car dealerships, but I'm talking about learning how to spend the money that God brings to you wisely. Why go out and pay, uh, uh, an example, let's say that if you go out and buy a brand new car for $14,000 or $11,000 today, turn the key and drive off the parking lot and turn around and pull back in and say, how much are you giving me for? More than likely, about four or $5,000 less than you just now paid for it. I had someone recently say, I've got this particular vehicle that we just bought. We've had it one year. It's got just a few thousand miles on it. And if somebody will just take over the payments, just take over the payments. It was $12,000 new. If they'll take over the payments of 90 some hundred dollars that's still owed on it, they can have it. Well, I didn't know that much about vehicles, so I went to a man that did, and I said, what about it? Is that a good deal? He says, they're buried. I said, what? They're, they're buried. They financed it for nine, over $9,300, I think it was. They've been making payments on it already for a year, but he said when they drove it out of the lot, it was not worth that. It was 12000 something new, but the minute they drove it out of the lot, it was worth less than $9,000. If they took it back to an auction, they couldn't sell it for $9,000. He said, right now, that van or that vehicle or whatever it is, is worth about $5,600. And they still had payments of $90 some hundred dollars. See what I'm saying? Why give them three or four or five thousand dollars when you can use that for the Lord's work or for something else you need in your house? And you can still be driving a new car. And I say that because they won't tell you that. And if we're going to manage God's money in a way that's pleasing to Him, we need to understand this. It can make a tremendous difference. And I said a while ago, I'm not talking about cheating. I want you to know what Proverbs says about cheating. I'm talking about dealing wisely as a businessman, knowing values. Proverbs 20, verse 21, the Living Bible says, A fortune can be made from cheating, but there's a curse that goes with it. Don't ever think that you can get ahead if you cheat. Don't ever think anybody else is going to get ahead if they cheat. Even if they become wealthy, there's a curse that goes with that wealth, and it will come back on them. But I'm talking about haggling and understanding it, buying and selling at the right price. And you will always find, now, for example, if, if somebody wants to buy a car, don't just go to a car lot. Buy the little auto, auto trader magazine and watch it for a few weeks. Mark about six or eight cars there you think you'd like. 
and wait till they've been in the magazine for three or four weeks. And then when they no longer appear, now you may have to wait a little longer to do it this way, but when they no longer appear in the, in the magazine, pick up that old magazine and call them. And say, uh, do you still have that car for sale? Uh, yeah, I sure do. You know what's happened? They've already paid for a month of uh, advertising and it didn't sell. Well, I, I'm not too sure that that's exactly what I want, but I'd like to come and at least look at it. Now, let me show you the contrary of what happened. The green Buick that the church had that we sold, I put in the auto trader $850. I expected to have to take less. Somebody, the first two days was in that auto trader, called me. I mean, that was a 1973 model with 100 and some thousand miles on it. I was told, in fact, one man who's in automobile and car uh, dealership work, he said, boy, God must really smile on you, fella, to be able to do that. And I said, well, I, I just stuck it in there and just said, Lord, you know the money's going to go to the Lord's work anyway, so do what you want with it. A family came to our yard, got out of the car, stood from here to the door from it, and said, that just looks like a brand new car. I said, well, my son cleaned it all up. He, he, he's in that type of work. He cleans up vehicles. It just looks like a new car. I walked over and I said, well, let me show you some of the bad things about it. The seat covers are torn here in several places. This is wrong. This has got a little problem around here. I wanted them to know all the bad things first. And as I walked around, I said, just exactly what I've been looking for. How much did you ask for it? I said, $850. Pulled out their purse. $100, 200 300 Didn't even haggle. I mean, I could have been worked down. Now, what I'm saying, when you go to see something like that, don't get out of your car and say, looks like a brand new car. Walk over and say, now, are there some problems that you know about this? Isn't there something for me to be teaching this from the pulpit? But you need to learn how to deal in, in the marketplace. Are there any problems with it? Why are you selling it? Is there a problem with it? Is it a gas hog? Bring up all the negatives you can think about so they'll begin to realize, boy, this thing, we, we might be lucky to get rid of this. Oh, they're going to do it to you. How many of you have taken a car in and parked it in a car dealership and had them walk out and look at it? Well, that paint looks pretty bad. Hmm, those tires could sure use something. That's just exactly what they do. Yeah, this looks like it needs some help. This, this hood's a little bit loose here. This door doesn't fit tight. That's just exactly what they do to you. And when you get done, you, you're almost standing there saying, won't you please take my car? Walk around it, and whatever they said, pop them down low. And then slowly let them just uh, really hurt until you come to Look, this is it. No further. And then you start to go get in the car to leave. In most instances, I've seen it happen time and time again. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know you can use the car, and, so and they'll sell it to you. It's, it's important to learn how to buy. It's important to learn how to sell. Because you can save a lot of money, and you can have many of the things you don't think you can have today if you're very, very careful in buying and selling. We're to manage God's money in such a way that we can get much more and have much more and still give more to the Lord's work. Now, if you're planning on going to a car dealership and buying a brand new vehicle, why don't you just check around and see what it would cost to get one with two or three or four thousand miles on it or through some friend that's in the dealership business and, and will go to the auction for you for $50 and get a brand new one for you? And whatever the difference is, give it to the Lord's work rather than give it to that car dealer. You'd say, I can't afford to give anything more to the Lord's work. Well, do that. You'll probably save about two or three thousand dollars. I might have a heart problem, but I... You know, all of a sudden the offerings jump up with several thousand dollars extra in it and to thank the Lord for it. But begin to realize that God will show you if you'll use discernment and wisdom in how to buy and how to sell, how you can have things that you couldn't have otherwise. 
I wanted to go find out what it cost to buy a calf. Anybody who wants to know how to buy a calf, ask either the Davises or the, or, or the uh, Kimmicks. I went to a dairy and said, what do you charge for calves? They got it for two-thirds, two-fifths of what I could get it for. Well, that's good buying. I said, no, I'm talking about your bottom dollar. They said, you just scraped it. You wanted $50 for a bull calf. Well, I love to see it when people can buy right and when they can sell right. It's very, very important. A fortune can be made from cheating, but there's a curse that goes with that. So I'm not talking about cheating. I'm talking about learning how to buy and sell. You know, people know what they have to have out of something, and if they don't get it, they don't have to sell it. But you need to find out what that bottom dollar is when you're buying. Why pay more when you can use that for the Lord's work or other things that you need? You, do we understand what I'm talking about here? And you might not think that this is, that this is very spiritual... But believe me, it can make a big difference in how your home can operate financially. And then, uh, I can't even get into the next point. Is this going to take some time, too? You know, I walk away thinking, have I given them anything spiritual this morning at all? But I think that these things are very, very important for us to learn as Christians because I see so many people taken on the market, in the marketplace. Learn where you can buy vegetables. Learn where you can buy fruits. If you're getting ready to, to uh, and you've got a freezer and you want to put some vegetables or fruits away, don't go down to the store and buy them. Uh, recently, praise God, we didn't get a chance to go ourselves, but recently some families went down to the plant city and picked strawberries. And lo and behold, they came to our door with the tithe of the strawberries. What a blessing that was. But if you want to put fruit away, like strawberries or anything like that, don't buy them. Get several people together and several families go down to Plant City and pick all the strawberries you want, and I think it was a dollar for six quarts. Big, luscious, right? Now, I don't know about you, but when we go to the supermarket to get strawberries, we find the red ones on the top, and when you move them back, all of a sudden they've turned green. They didn't get enough sun down the bottom of that box. But if you go pick your own, you can get boxes full of red ones. And if you want... If you want cabbage, if you want celery, if you want beans, if you want peas, if you want different things like that that are grown in the area of corn, you can go get your own. Go right out to the, the fields practically and get them here in Florida. We're blessed that way. And these are little ways that you can save money. You say, but it costs money to drive. Okay, have a family picnic. Make a family day of it. Go out and do it and go over under some trees and have yourself some sandwiches or whatever, but you can save yourself some money by doing these little things. Learn how to buy. And you know, with a little imagination, you can furnish your house beautifully through Goodwill Industry. And you know something? Today, even Goodwill Industries and Salvation Army is not the best place to go and buy furniture. Again, they are beginning to learn the value of furniture. And when I see what used furniture costs today, my mind is, oh, I can't believe this. But again, there are many people out there in the newspapers that are trying desperately to get rid of something in a hurry. They're getting out of the country. They're also in a, a bad situation. They just want to get out from under it. And don't cheat them, but find out what the best price is you can get. And if it's what you can use, don't buy something you can't use, by the way, but if you can use it, if it's going to fit into your scheme, buy it for the best price you can. Because your money is from the Lord. And you must manage it in a way that's pleasing to Him. Lord willing, tonight we're going to talk about another aspect concerning saving money and well, there's a couple of them here I think are going to be very, very interesting for us. I want to get through this area, but it just seems like the Lord has held me on this part and, and had me uh, explain some of these things that, to me, have been very, very 
uh, normal, as I said, down through the years, my wife, when I want to go buy something, she doesn't want to go with me. But afterwards, she's very grateful that we get the things that we get at the price we get them. Otherwise, we couldn't have them. Think about that. Keep that in mind as you get ready to go. And if you don't know how to do some of these things, if you don't understand how to, and uh, especially if, if you're just that kind-hearted person that wouldn't, wouldn't think of talking to someone about giving them less than they're asking, then get somebody that's a bear to go with you. Tell them how much money you've got and what's the most you can spend and say, will you go do it? And I'll just stand behind you and say amen and pray. I still remember my father-in-law when Beverly and I went there for revival meetings years and years ago. He, is such a, he was such a kind, gentle man. And we did, they didn't have a Hammond organ in the church, and we wanted to have revival meetings where Beverly, during the offering, would play requests from the audience. And I, everywhere we'd gone before, I'd go to the Hammond organ place and say, uh, if you're really looking for a good opportunity to show that thing off so that other churches and other people coming into the church will want to know what kind of an organ it is, uh, if you'll put it out there in the church this week, I'll have my wife play it, and uh, most people will have never heard it played like she'll play it. Put it in there, and it'll be a good advertisement for you. And they say, well, uh, what do you mean? And I said, well, she's had scholarship, five years of scholarship at University of Louisville and all this. She really knows how to play it. And when I got through there, they said, well, listen, when do you want it delivered? And they delivered free. We'd use an organ all week. We'd put a little tag on it. Uh, given by compliment with the compliments of such and such a music store. If any questions about it, ask the organist, and so forth. And they were very pleased at the end of the week. They said people would come and inquire. Well, when we went to Louisville to Beverly Father's Church, I said, uh, well, why don't we get a Hammond organ this week? He said, well, they won't let you use them. Uh, you have to pay for them. I said, let's, let's go down. I'll, I'll talk to him. We walked in the store, and he went ahead. Of course, I opened the door and let him go ahead of me. He walked right up to the head. He said, where's the manager? I told him. He said, you never let any churches use any organs without having to rent them, do you? That's the way his head was going. And you know what happens when you do this? The person that you're talking to does this. No. No, we don't do that. Uh-uh. I went, uh-uh. It took me almost 30 minutes after I finally eased him behind me to talk to him to finally, 30 minutes later, the fellow said, listen, we'll be glad to deliver it out there for you and put it in the bag. And I thought to myself, you know, that's the problem. Many times we go assuming that we're going to have to take it the roughest way. And if you don't know how to do that, uh, discipleize. Let somebody discipleize you and take you out and show you how to buy and how to sell. I get, listen, let me tell you something now. I'll tell you ahead of time. Sometimes you'll get burned. But overall, you'll save. I know you'll get burned. I've gotten burned several times. But you know what? First time, shame on them. Second time, shame on me. And in the long run, you come out ahead. But if you're very, very careful and find people that, you, that know what they're doing, You'll come out ahead, and you'll, you'll be thankful to the Lord to learn these things because in the days ahead you'll find things available that you didn't dream were available to you that you can afford to have. Think about these things and see if the Lord won't be able to use this, this truth this morning to help you in the days ahead to function and, and flow in, in God's economy and find that there's more money available to minister to others as you're able to have the things that you want to have and still be able to come out ahead. Thank you, Father, for your blessings. Thank you for the talents and the gifts that you give to exalt you. We thank you, Lord, that we can praise you for the talent you've given to Tracy to be able to run, the talent you've given to Brother Walt to do carpenter work, the talent you've given to Beverly to play the piano. 
the talents and, and the gifts of the Spirit that you give us as a body to minister one to another. Give us common sense in the matters of spiritual things day by day that we can walk decently and in order that others can tell we've been with Jesus and they'll see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. In his name we ask it and for his sake. Amen. We want to try to go right on from this morning. I, I have to admit I was stunned this morning when I looked down and saw the, the clock. I could not believe that the time had gone that quickly. But there's so much in practical Christianity that needs to be shared. Now, I, I want to say it again, and I'm not saying it critically. I'm saying it out of concern. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit that they need to flow. I believe that we should seek and be sensitive to the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit within the body. But I think that we need to be careful that we don't get so spiritually minded we're no earthly good. For all we're looking for is the glory bucket and the honey bucket and the goosebumps and the thrills and the excitement and the growing legs and so forth. These things have their place, but the Word says, teach the Word, preach the Word, get the Word into my people's hearts so I can minister truth to them, for it's the truth that will make them what? You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I don't see anywhere where it says it, a miracle will make you free. I don't see anywhere where it says the gifts of the Spirit will make you free. It says the truth will make you free. And when you begin to walk and flow in the fruit of the Spirit, I say that because, again, this past week I've been confronted with a church that was just, you know, flowing, as they call it, flowing in the gift, flowing in the Spirit, flowing in all these things. Well, the problem is that the, the stream has dried up because there hasn't been enough teaching. And they've had to back off, and they can't. They aren't having the services they once had. They're not having the attendance they once had, and a, a lack of interest is formed in the situation. And I, I kept watching the situation, thinking, get into the Word, teach people the Word, get rooted and grounded so that every wind of doctrine that comes along won't blow you over. And consequently, the end result, again, is what's being seen, and I, it, it breaks my heart. And I know that a lot of times we, 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 people come and they say, well, are you Baptist, or are you this, or are you that? And I tell them, just stick around and you'll find out what we are. The most important thing is we love the Lord and we want to be obedient to Him in every area. We might emphasize one thing for a while and another thing for a while, but we, we want to know it all and walk in it all because we believe it's all for us. But it's not all of just one thing. And I thank the Lord for what he's given us as a body of people here for the, the strength and the solidarity we have in the things of the Spirit because we're trying to walk in the light of the Word. Praise the Lord. We talked this morning about how to learn how to buy, and I should have put and sell, uh, but again, I say it's so important because I have seen so many Christian people who know nothing about the fact that just because there's a price on something, that is not necessarily the price that has to be paid. Learn how to economize, learn how to buy right, learn how to sell right, and you'll find that there are many things that will be available to you and within your reach that you didn't dream was possible before. I started to say this morning when you were looking about a car in the auto trader, and you wait three or four weeks and the car is not sold. Again, I say you might not get the exact color of seat covers you want. You might not get the exact chrome that you want on the bumper and so forth. Uh, some people, when they go out looking for a used car, want to know the exact size of, uh, I mean, the, the color inside, the color outside, the number of mirrors and all this. You may not be able to do that, but if you can save yourself a, a thousand to three thousand dollars, you can go and put those things on the car. But wait until they've gone for three or four weeks and no one's bought it, and then go and talk to them. You may not get the first three or four of them, but don't be in a rush. 
When you go, look at it, and walk away nonchalantly if they aren't going to take the price that you offer them. And you're not being dishonest when you do that. Now, if I know that I've got $300 in something and I don't want to lose my shirt on it, if you come and offer me $200, I'll have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Now, I may have expected to lose $25 or $50. You'd have to convince me to lose $75. But if someone knows that they've got to get rid of something and they want to get rid of it, then it's what you call a buyer's market. You know what a buyer's market is? Ask any real estate agent. What's the difference between a buyer's market and a seller's market is? You may have a house that's worth $200,000, but if it's a buyer's market, you might get $120,000 for it. If it's a seller's market, you might get $230,000 for it. Isn't that right, some of you that are in real estate? It has everything to do with supply and demand. Find out what the supply and the demand is, and if you don't know, check with others. Someone came to me afterwards this morning and said, Boy, let me know who I can take with me because I don't understand those things then find someone that can go with you and help you when you need to find something like that and learn how to do it. Learn by observation. Now, tonight we want to go on quickly and learn how to repair and maintain things at home. As far as savings are concerned, this is a tremendous way in which to do it. I remember as a boy when I tried to repair something at home one time, I wanted to repair a light fixture that didn't work, so I took a, a table knife. I was just lying down on my back in the basement of our church and stuck it in mean, my home and stuck it up into the... That didn't fix it. It took about a half of an inch off the end of the blade, and it, it kind of straightened my hair out a little bit, but uh, it's important for you to realize that if others can do it with a little concentration, a little bit of study, a little bit of work, why can't you, unless it's a specialized area. Now, when I say repair, I don't mean go in and rewire your house or replumb your house without any experience at all. Now, there have been times when I've needed a little bit of rewiring and a brother in the church that would know a little bit about it just come over and help me and show me how he's done it. If it isn't anything, if you go beyond up to a three-way switch, you've lost me. But as long as it's just a one-way switch or a wall plug or something like that, I can fix that. Would you believe that I've repaired our, our dryer out in the boathouse about, what, ten times now? My wife says, out again, and so I'll go out and take two wires and put them back together and wire it, tape it up, whatever has to be done. But when you begin to realize today what it costs to get repairs done, it's, it's incredible. And I'm not against the guy that's doing it. He's got to make a living, too. But he doesn't have to make his whole living off me. If I can learn how to do something, and you can learn how to do something, the savings can be tremendous. Now, you know, sometimes people will call an electrician out just to, to replace a fuse. There are too many books on the market today, how-to books, for us to have to waste the Lord's money in some of these areas. When it comes to plumbing, I didn't know the first thing about plumbing, but when I bought my first fourplex up in Minnesota, and the guy came out and wanted to crack me $35 to $65 to come out and look at it, you know, it was amazing how quickly I learned how to take those little U-joints that would rot out off from under that thing and put them back on again. And how I learned how I could buy myself a little wrench to tighten up and put on my own faucets up under a sink. And just some little things like that. Believe it or not, if Christians would begin, if you don't know how to do it, look around in the body and say, is there someone in the body that knows a little bit about this that will come the first time and teach me and show me how to do it? The savings can be phenomenal for you. I, I know of a young couple right now that are married, and that poor fellow, I feel so badly for him. I really do. He has difficulty knowing how, I think, to take a spray can and spray for roaches under a couch. He almost has to have instructions in doing it. And you talk to him about repairing 
putting something to hold the window tight. Well, I, I, I'm not too sure how I'd do that. I'd go about that, you know. And I think, son, you better learn. One of these days, it's going to cost you your shirt. You've got to learn how to do these things. Uh, I could go on and on and on on some of these things, but uh, fixing your own automobile, fixing your own mower. Now, let me tell you something. If there's one area that I am blank in, it's in the area of automotive. I know the pistons go up and down, the valves go up and down at certain paces, and I know all these things, but fixing them and taking them, we never had a car in my family until I was 16 and I bought one. My father and mother never owned a car. I didn't work out on a farm where we had machinery at all. So a car was something that I was supposed to sit in, I was supposed to turn that key with the clutch in, out, out, when you push it, you push it out, and, and it would start, and then if you put it toward you and down, or toward you this way and down, and let the clutch out slowly, in slowly, it, it was supposed to move. And when it didn't start, I'd say, oh boy, now what's the matter? Now, I've learned some since then. I have changed my own oil, and I have done some lubricating on for I have changed fan belts before, but I'll tell you, the officers of the church will tell you there's some things I don't know about cars yet. I had a radiator hose burst on me, and I thought, well, now I'm going to save a little money this time, and I'm going to fix it myself. So I fixed that radiator hose. In the meantime, it threw the fluid all over the motor. And when I tried to start it, it cross-jumped the spark, jumped across from one point to the other, or whatever it is, and under that little distributor cap, and it backfired and blew the both muffler and resonator and tailpipe and everything clear off the car. I said, boy, did I save money this time. Price of putting on a lot of... Now, let me just tell you one thing. If you can't do it yourself, if you don't know how to do it yourself, the next best thing is ask around and find someone who is honest and reasonable. Let me give you an example. If you have an electric typewriter and had to take it to IBM to have it fixed, and I'm not criticizing IBM, but their rate, if you take it to them into their shop, is $55 an hour plus parts. Now, if you have a typewriter like that that needs to be fixed, you can go down here to Sanford and there's a machine, uh, office machine place. They say, why pay IBM prices? They will do the same work for $25 an hour. That's a tremendous difference, you know? Now, again, I say there's some people, I still remember a very wealthy woman up in Minnesota going shopping one day at Beverly for clothes and she was looking from store to store and she says, this is so frustrating, I can't find anything. I want something just like you're wearing right now, Beverly. And she was looking in $60 and $80 dresses back then. Beverly says, you're in the wrong place. She says, this dress cost me about a dollar and a half to two dollars to make. I made it myself. The clothes that I'm talking about, you can go out and buy pants for 40 and $50 for a pair of pants, or you can buy something that costs you 6 or $7, and I'll guarantee you, you'll have a difficult time unless you look for the label telling the difference in a lot of them. And they'll last you just as long. But when it comes to repair work, there are places you can get it done for less. I just found out, for example, by accident, I went over to get some chainsaws sharpened last night, and a man walked up and was talking to the man who did the repair work on my chainsaw, the sharpening, and uh, he says uh, to the other fellow, he says, you have a, uh, a mower? He says, sure. He says, if you ever need any work done on it, let me know. He says, I've done more work for years, but I do it out of my garage. And I said, what type of mowers do you work on? He's named all the different kinds. And he said, by the way, if you ever need blades for your snapper mower, he says, you'll pay around $20 a piece for them where you get them. He says, I sell the same mower blades for around $11. I said, How, where do you live? He's only about eight blocks from me. And you just kind of write these things down. I don't know about you, but if I can save 7 or $8 on a mower blade, I don't have to go into the shop because it's got that word above the door. 
There are so many different ways in which we can save and we can repair ourselves. I've had to learn how to sharpen mower blades and take blades off and change wheels and do a lot of things on the mowers that I never used to have to do. And you know what? It gets dirt under my fingernails. Isn't that terrible for a preacher? I hope some of you don't come around and catch me some days while I'm doing that because I'm really dirty. I have a mechanic that I go to, and I'll be honest with you, many, many times. He'll work on my car, and he'll say, go on, I'll get you the next time. And I'll say, hey, you can't afford to do that. Who said I can't afford to do that? He said, ever since you've been saying that, I make more money. So just go on. I can, you take care of it the next time. And if he doesn't do it right, I'll come back the next time, and he'll do it for me for nothing and fix it up. But find somebody reliable like that. And ask around. Don't be afraid to ask someone, where can I save money? You say, we don't need to save money. We've got a whole lot of money. Well, then save money and give more to the Lord's work. Commission. The Reeds need more money every month. And if you need anything like that, services like that, ask around. Someone said this morning that if we wanted to, we could, uh, Sue Bonham could have probably given us another whole sermon on the different ways of saving money. Now, you know, she's known for the fact that she has found how to save money. When you've got a family and you're trying to make ends meet, you find ways to make ends meet. Now you say, Brother Webb, you say all this stuff is scriptural. That's right. I want you to turn with me to Titus, the second chapter. Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Now this is spiritual. It says up above on my uh, list, uh, heading up at the top of the page, Paul's practical instructions to Titus. I think Christianity is very practical. It doesn't have to be that spiritual, you know, floating around, glory, glory, glory thing. It's very practical, and that will come with it then. All right? But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now, we're going to be talking about sound doctrine here. And this is the sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober or temperate, grave, which means dignified. Sober means sensible, and the temperate means temperate. Okay? Sound in faith, in charity, and patience. Now, I gave you some good doctrine there, didn't I? All right? Now, get this. The aged women, or the older women, I don't like that word aged, but the older women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. Now, that same word there is the same word for devil in the Greek. Not devils. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. Do you notice there it says the older women are supposed to be what? Teachers. Now, what are they supposed to teach? That they may teach the what? Uh-oh, older ladies, your responsibility for sound doctrine is to teach the younger ladies what? To be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Teach them how to love their children. Now, you know what? Some mothers are going to have trouble doing that because they've never learned to love their children themselves because they were never loved by their parents. And until you can get rid of some rejection... And self-rejection, it's going to be hard for you to teach your children how to love their children if you were never loved and you've never loved them as you ought to love them because of rejection that's in you. But you need to teach them how to love their children to be discreet, chaste. What's that next phrase? Sound doctrine. Older ladies, teach the girls how to keep a home. Now that doesn't mean divorce your husband and get the house away from him. To keep the home. It means... To keep the home up, to make it to be a homemaker, a home builder. Be in the home and establish that home as a home, not a house. 
There's a vast difference between a house and a home. I can tell you right now, take Beverly out of that place we live in, it's a house. Put Beverly in it, it's a home. You hear me? I told you before about the man that moved into a town and the guy said, do you have a home yet? He said, we have a beautiful home, now we're trying to find a house to put it in. Now that's important. But the only way that's going to happen is if moms teach the girls how to keep a home. Do I have to clean the kitchen again? Yep, every time. Every time it gets dirty, it's got to be cleaned up. Do I have to make the bed again? Every time the bed gets dirty, you got to clean it up. That's just part of keeping the home. How about the, oh, Mom, you mean i got to iron again? Yeah, honey, believe it or not, one of these days, when you have your five kids every week, that pile's going to be there, and you've got to keep... Boy, this is really a big hassle. Yes, I know, honey. I want you to understand what it's like. I want you to do the ironing, and I want you to do the washing this coming week, this coming month. Do it all month and see what happens. Some of you are saying, Brother Webb, you've already preached too long. It's time to quit. <laughs> Listen, it goes on. This is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Isn't that what he said? Here's sound doctrine. Keepers at home, good. Be good. Obedient to their own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. Let me tell you something. Now listen to me. Older mothers, older women, your daughters are never going to know how to obey your husband, their husbands until they watch you and see if you obey your husband. You hear me? Now there's a lot of times that women, married women, will find out what they want to do and they'll tell their husbands that that's what their husbands want them to do. And then when they get through doing it, they say to them, I know that this is what's best for me, and I know you want me to do it, and they do it, and the husband doesn't have much to say about it. And then afterwards, they get all upset because their husbands are upset. I don't understand why they're upset. I did what he wanted me to do after I already told him what I knew he wanted me to do. Am I making myself clear? It's not one thing. You know, some people would never control the house. Some women would never control the house. They just make their husbands want to do what they want to do in such a way that they try to think that their husbands think that they thought it up, but they didn't think it up. <laughs> and if you want to get into trouble, that's a good way to get into trouble because sooner or later, a little light's going to go on and they're going to say, hey, I'm being manipulated and I don't like it. And let me tell you something. One of the great problems in homes today is girls are learning through their mothers how to manipulate their husbands. And if you, they learn how to manipulate their husbands and their homes go on the rocks later on, older ladies, listen to me, they're going to point back and say, I learned it from my mama. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to teach the old, younger ladies to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You want to know what a good wife is, a godly woman is? You all you have to do is look to the 30th chapter of Proverbs. 29th or 30th chapter, isn't it? The Proverbs are talked about a virtuous woman. What does it say that she does? Well, she gets material and she sews and she prepares for her family. They have all the clothes they need. There's plenty of food. She's industrious. Chapter 31 of Proverbs. We can take a quick look at it right now in case you're really curious. See if it says anything about what we just talked about. Verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. She would never manipulate him. Trust in him. So that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax. She must have had a sewing machine. Huh? She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. 
She's like the merchant ship. She bringeth forth, bringeth her food from afar. She goes out to find some of the finest food she can, and I'll bet she dickers on the price, too. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Okay. She considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hand. She planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that she is that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands on the spindle, to the spindle, and her mother never taught her how to do it, and she's in deep yogurt. No, that is what it says. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She knows very well how to make clothing. She stretches out her hand to the poor, yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sitteth among the elders of the land, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchants. Strength and honor, honor are clothing, and she shall rejoice in the time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Do you know there are some mothers today, the children, if they rose up to call their mothers blessed, the mothers wouldn't hear it because they're never home. There's no relationship there like there ought to be. And it's very, very important for a virtuous woman to be able to have their children rise up and call them blessed. Now you say, well, my mom and my mom has never taught me any of those things. Then you find someone else that will. Ask mother if she will. If mama doesn't know how to do it, then you do it. By the way, as I'm thinking about this right now, this Thursday night at 7 o'clock, the senior high, college, and career-age young people, young girls, are supposed to meet at our house again. Jody's going to teach you how to do some more handicrafts. Sewing. Isn't that amazing how that fits right in? Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor, get this, young ladies, mark this. You young single girls, mark this. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is what? Favor is deceitful, and beauty is, what does it say? Vain. Did you hear me? All the emphasis today is, how do I look? How do I look? What do you think you'll think of me? Well, I'll tell you. Bring him to your house and let him see the quilts that you've made and the uh, clothes that you've made and the way that you can cook, and don't worry about it. He'll tell you what he thinks of you. I'm serious. A virtuous woman is hard to find today. A woman who's got common sense. And I'll tell you something. You show me someone who takes the time and applies themselves to learn these things, and I'll show you a sensible girl. She's not always splitting up here around wondering where the next chance is to, to be popular and get out with the guys and have a, just a, a big blast, you know. She is seriously preparing for the future, and it will establish her home. Beauty is vain. If you don't believe me, go to every retirement home. Go to every uh, nursing home in the state of Florida and ask that woman, were you once beautiful? Oh, yes, I was a beauty queen in high school. What do you think of it? It was all vain. Look at me now. Excuse me. should be earned and managed according to biblical principles. And we're talking about three basic factors determining financial freedom. And as we went down through this list of one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven last week, learn how to buy and learn how to repair. I'll turn it, I'll push it on up here now so you can see it better. Learn how to buy, 
uh, and how to repair. We talked about the necessity of learning to save money at home by learning how to repair things by yourself or have someone over co- else come over and teach you how, or, and also for the younger men, older men to teach the younger men, the older ladies to teach the younger girls how to keep home and to love and obey their husbands, etc., etc. And if you did not hear that, it's on a tape, and you're welcome to pick it up later on to study it further. Today, we want to go on as quickly as possible to determine God's reason for lack of funds. Now, there are many times when we come up against a financial situation and we say, Lord, why aren't you answering prayer? Why am I not getting the things that I need, the things that I've asked you for, the things I've been trusting you for? Well, you know, the Word of God tells us that his thoughts toward us are continually good, but there may be times when God cannot answer our prayer because of other principles that are involved. We need to ask some questions. And the first question is, I've asked God for it, but do I really need it? Do I really need what I'm asking for? There are some beautiful promises in God's Word. Philippians 4.19, For my God shall supply how much? All your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's saying there's enough in the account to meet every need. If it's not being need, then we need to look around and ask some questions. Proverbs 34.10, They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Psalm 34.10, They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 84.11, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Nothing will he withhold, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Then another one says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now it's an interesting thing how God covers his base there. He doesn't say just anything you want, you ask for it, and you can have it. He says, If you delight in me, I will give to you the delights of your heart, the desires of your heart. Now that's a, a beautiful thing because he knows that if we delight in him, we'll want nothing that will be contrary to his will. Isn't that right? And that's why he says here that, first of all, we should, if we seek him, we'll not want any good thing. That if we uh, walk uprightly, we'll not, he'll not withhold anything from us. But the first question is, do I really need it? The word need or necessity or requirement needs to be evaluated over and over again. There are a lot of people that think they need a lot of things that they don't really need. I've seen a lot of people think they need more clothes. They really need more closet space and need to sell a bunch of their old clothes or get rid of them some way, minister to the body some way. But when we talk about a definite need, now I've, of course, you know, it never happens in this body, but I've been in some bodies where if a woman has to wear a dress twice or three times to the same place, she's just totally demolished. I mean, that should never happen. There aren't very many here that are my age, but those of you that are my age and older, how many of you remember, most of you probably, back when you were in school, you were lucky to have two or three changes of clothes for a week. I used to have two pairs of jeans. My mother had to wash the one pair while I was wearing the other pair. And then she'd wash it, and I'd always say, Mom, you getting the other pair washed for me? Uh, These are getting pretty stiff, you know. And, uh, yeah, she said, I'm going to wash them tonight. And so I'd have two pairs of jeans, and... And I had a few pairs of socks, so I could change my socks, even if I couldn't change my jeans. 
But you know, I survived somehow. I did not die of some horrible disease. I survived. We need to reevaluate what we really need when we contemplate whether God's meeting our needs or not. When we're talking about furniture, we talked about it last week, and it's been so exciting this morning to have different ones come in and say, Brother Webb, look what I got at a, at a garage sale, or look what I got at a flea market this week. You know, we were talking about going out to some of these flea markets and some of these garage sales and saving some money. One came to me this morning and said, with a little bit of work, for $25, I bought a 15-cubic-foot freezer. A little bit of work on it, and it'll be just like new. Inside, it looks just like new. I said, fantastic. Another came in and said, I bought just, you wouldn't believe all the clothes we bought. A dress for 75 cents for our daughter looks like new. Shoes that cost a quarter look like new. I said, fantastic. Now, you see, some people say, well, I wouldn't do that. Well, next time you run into a need, ask God if you're... If, if you've really got a need or not. There's some other questions we'll have to ask, but that's, that's one of the things. You see, it's wonderful to preach something, but it's wonderful, more wonderful when you hear somebody practicing and come back and saying, it, hey, it works. If we want money for other things, we can find areas that we can save and find out, do I really, is this really a necessity in my life? Is it a requirement? Can I live without it? I've found from time to time we're further ahead rather than to go out and buy something to go and rent it. If I need something one time, for one day, maybe once every year, once every two years, I'm further ahead to go and rent it rather than to go buy it. Because it may cost me $25 for one day, but I may only need it one day a week. And if I buy something that costs me hundreds of dollars that begins to depreciate and rust and get old, but within two or three years, I may have to, or four or five years, I may have to buy another one. And by that time, I could have been renting a brand new one every year and still save some money. So do I really need what I'm asking God for. The second thing, if it doesn't come, is God testing my faith? Is God testing my faith? James 1.3 says, The trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. What does trying of your faith bring forth? Patience. <laughs> and patience brings forth experience, and experience brings forth hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. God said there's a progression here. You know, I'm not a gimme-itis God. You come and say, give it to me, you walk away and say, I haven't got it yet, where is it? You know, He said, sometimes the reason I don't give something to you immediately, even if you're walking uprightly, is because I want to test your faith and see if you can really believe me for it. And there's nothing that will test our patience more than to have to wait on God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What does it mean? It will flex your muscles. will build up your faith muscles. God said it. I believe it. And that's good enough. I don't see it yet, but that's all right. I confess what is not as though it is in order that it may be so. And God said it. I believe him. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I know that it's a need. I've searched my heart. And God said he'll supply my needs. I'm trusting him for it. I don't know when it's going to come, but I know it'll come. So God says, let me test your faith a little bit from time to time. Maybe that's what, I'm do what he's doing. Third, did I misspend the money, money he sent for it? How many of you know that's possible? Many times God sends in provisions, and in the meantime, we go flying off. We've got $20 in our pocket. Woo, boy, now come on, let's go to the restaurant. Let's go do this, let's go do that. And then we come back, and when that need comes up, we get down and say, oh, God, I don't have enough money for that. We may have to reevaluate and say, Lord, did you send that money in, and did I blow it? If, I, if that's what I did, Lord, will you please forgive me? And if you'll help me to learn this thing, I won't let that happen again. But Lord, help me to make it up some other way. But you know, sometimes 
when we say we've got great faith, we may have some foolishness involved too when God sends something to us that we don't watch out for future needs. You know, I know some people say, well, sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. But the word also says, consider the ant thou sluggard, that he stores up for future times. And it's good to sit down and write out your bills for a couple of months in advance and see what's coming up and begin to store toward that so that when the money... Well, now, you know, it might come that the Lord might send in a little bit more money than your bills as you're going along, and you keep storing it up for long, you say, now I know that I can pay my bills and I have some extra money. But if you like to live on the edge of life, you know, out there, what they call out there in the fast lane, well, you might want to just sling it as it comes in, and then you come to that need and you say, boy, did I misspend the money he sent for? Next one. Have I violated any scriptural financial principle? You know, God knows how to turn it on and God knows how to turn it off. I have seen it happen in my life. I've seen abundance flowing, and then suddenly, bingo, it stops. And I say, Lord, where did I miss it? Remember what those scriptural principles are, financial principles? Stinginess, hastiness to get rich, stubbornness, won't bend and change with the, the situation, the times, laziness, gluttony or drunkenness, and craftiness. Those violate scriptural financial principles. And if we violated them, then we've got to go back and say, Lord, I recognize that I have violated a financial principle. I want to ask you to forgive me and cleanse me from that. By your help, I won't do that again. Now, Lord, help me to meet this situation, and I want to go on. I want to learn from this experience. God wants us to learn. You know, he's not up there waiting for us to make a mistake so he can just, on top of it. He's trying to teach us to go along. There are some people that think that God's just right there saying, just, just, just make one mistake. Just make one mistake, and I'll get you. And that isn't the way God deals with us at all, see? He's merciful. He's kind. He's gracious. And in situations like this, he wants us to stop and reevaluate what we have done with those things that he's given to us. Then, a little bit of a repeat of what we've talked about before. Should I change my work? You know, I really feel for some people who year after year after year can't make it. Just can't make it. Just can't pay the bill. We get deeper in debt. We, we, we're just skimming along. I don't know how we're going to do it. I wonder what God has to do to finally say to them, Hey, I'm trying to talk to you. Maybe God's trying to say you should change jobs. I remember talking several years ago to a man who always complained about not being able to pay his bills. And I said, Brother, with, with what you've got and the ability you've got, you could go out and get another job. He says, I can't do anything else. I, I'd never be able to do any other job. This is all I've ever done for about 15 years. I said, well, you've got two legs and two arms and a brain. You can do something else if you ask God to open another door for you. He said, I, I just would feel totally insecure if I ever went anywhere else. And I said, then you need prayer and deliverance, brother. You know, we talked about getting into a box. Can I share it with you again? Check out and see if you're in a box. There's a difference between a job and an opportunity. Somebody will come to you and say, I'll offer you so many thousand dollars a year. Well, what's the future potential of that? How about five years from now? Will I still be in that box? Jody got her training as a nurse. Jody's in a box. She can go so far. And she looks at others that have been there 25 and 30 years doing nursing. They've got money in their account. They're fairly successful as the run of the mill goes, but they're in a box. They can't get up any higher. They can't get any more. They can't gain any more. They can't get side income. Do you see what I'm talking about with a box? Your job offers you 
$4 an hour or $4.5 an hour. And uh, if you're really good and you stay there for a year, you might go to $4.75 an hour. And the next year, $4.85 or $4.95 an hour. But they keep you in that box and just keep letting it big enough so you can exist. I'm not against working by the hour, but I'm just simply giving you an option, an alternative. Think about the possibility of an opportunity to where you can get again into a service-related field where you set the hours and you set the amount of money you're going to make. The old Fuller Brushman statement was, if you want to make more money, see more people. Did you hear me? If you want to make more money, see more people was the old Fuller Brush adage. And I believe God wants people to have a little of a bit of imagination. And if you want to make more money, don't just have to stand there and say, boss, whenever you're ready to give me more money, then I'll get more money. Honey, I can't do anything until the boss tells me I can. If that's your, the box you're in, begin to look out and say, is there some place I can get into an area of service? I can go to some uh, apartment building or even go to some business place and say, look, I'll come in here once a week and for... 50 or $75, whatever, you supply the, all the supplies and the equipment for $50 or $100, whatever it is, I'll clean this place up for you every week. And after you do it, do it very well. You might lose a little money on the first time, but learn how to do it. Make some mistakes and say, well, I'm still learning, but I'll get it done right and do it as unto the Lord. Remember I said, do it well. And then after you learn how to do it, and you learn a few of the tricks of the trade, go to the people that supply the supplies and say, what's a better way to do this? What's a better way to do it? They're anxious to teach you how to do it. And after you get a good recommendation from that one, say, I want to go over and talk to this other man. Would you give me a recommendation? Certainly will. And you might do that on a part-time basis while you're still in your box. But you go to that one. You've learned now how long it takes you and don't underestimate your value. Find out what others are charging for that type of work. Charge a little bit less since you don't have the overhead they do and try another building. I'm just using one example. And go to a third one and go to a fourth one. And before long, you may have to bring mama in to help you a little bit from time to time. And the kids in to help you once in a while until you get a little stronger and a little stronger. And before long, believe it or not, you'll find you'll be making more money in a service area than you will be going to the job eight hours a day, five days a week. Should I change my work? I'm not telling anybody to get up and quit. I'm simply saying begin to let God cause your imagination to work up a little bit and find out if there isn't somewhere that you could... Begin to work and build up an extra side income. And before long, if you are imaginative enough and work at it strong and strongly enough, you might come to the time where you tell the boss, I can't afford to be here anymore. I have gotten into a business of my own, and it's just booming. I know of a man in, in our town in Longwood that took a little bit of savings and went in and bought some property and started a tree farm. Well, he has worked night and day to get that tree farm built up, and I told him to come and get trees off my property just because I couldn't dig them all out of there, and he could have them if he'd just come and get them out for me. Well, he's elated, and he's coming from time to time and getting them out of my property there. But I talked to him the other day. I said, how's it going? He said, man, I am three weeks behind, and since I started with my little business, I've now had to have a second boom truck built. I am swamped. I can't keep up with it. But at one time, he just worked on a regular job, but he said he got tired of getting, being in that box and banging his elbows on the sides of that box. He wanted an opportunity, and he took it. And now he's so busy, he feels like he's playing patty cake with an octopus. He doesn't know which one to patty next, he said. Now, there are a lot of people that are itching for success, but they aren't willing to scratch for it. But if you're willing to scratch for it, you can be successful if you'll use your imagination. And if you're talking about not having enough money coming in, then get on your knees and say, God, what are you trying to show me? How can I expand? How can I serve someone else? Again, it's the service area. Learn to serve people. If you serve people, it'll come back to you. 
if you do it as under the Lord. The world is just screaming for honest men in service work. Okay? I didn't mean to stay on that for so long, but it's very, very important that you understand that. 